It was this time four years ago, the Sunday after Easter, um, that one Micah Thomas at that point came down to preach and interview here on a Sunday morning. Um, And it was that afternoon that I was offered a job and that you guys took a chance on two young things, recently graduated from Princeton Seminary. Now we're buying a house. So very clearly we've loved the past four years. We've been incredibly blessed by this congregation and by this church. Um, And we thought we'd stick around a little longer um, and plant ourselves in this community. Uh, We've had questions from multiple people over the years about when we'll leave and how quickly we'll uproot and get out of here. Um, And then we adopted a daughter and brought her to this town. And she has never been so free or so safe or so loved. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for taking a chance on us four years ago. And thank you for your love and your care for us and for your love and care for Sophia. With that said, our scripture for today comes from Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter And the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as Prince and Savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thank be to God. So our daughter loves the water, loves to swim, to float, to splash, all of it. So we put her on the swim team at the retcon, which is fantastic for her. She still needs help with some translations and is a little eerie of strangers, so one of us stays to watch which, by the way, gives you a lot of extra time with little to do except watch these swim classes. There's three groups. The first has some kids who are still afraid of drowning or using floaties, up through kids like our child who can swim but are still learning the basic strokes. In this first group, the coach might have to encourage a kid to say, let go of the wall or put their head in the water. So the kids hop out of the water and the coach demonstrates the different strokes as they practice and then they jump back in to try it. And the second group is kids who know how to swim. They're in the pool because they enjoy it and they're trying to improve, right, to get better for the race that's coming up. The coaches are no longer doing basic stuff. They're pushing them into repetitions, go down and back, down and back, critiquing the angle of someone's arm. I'm not a swimmer. I really don't have a clue what they're critiquing. And then there's the third group, which is the school team, and they're not just doing strokes. They're doing difficult things, right? Stretching their lungs, push their muscles further than they can go. You see, these three groups often are in the pool at the same time, or their times at least overlap, and the only difference is not just what they're learning. It's how they are listening, right? 
The most advanced group, they might chit-chat while they're waiting, but when the coach talks, everyone is listening. And when the coach says go, everyone goes. And when the coach says push it faster, they actually go faster. And then there's the first group. (laughs) The group I really get to watch because Sophia is in that group. And this is more like herding cats most of the time. Sometimes the kids decide to start sinking to the bottom just for fun, or float around looking at nothing like they're meditating, or they decide to eat underwater. They get distracted by splashing because it's that exciting every time, and they wander away from wherever the coach is. They get tired in the middle of practicing something, and they just nap, nap, right there on the lane line, napping in the pool. Some of it, I understand, is age. But some of its purpose, the youngest group is frankly just there for fun, so they stop listening when they get bored. The older group, though, they pay attention, usually. They obey. They obey. The story that takes place in Acts, the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin, the court of law, and the Sanhedrin is the same group of people that had Jesus executed. The Sanhedrin now is frustrated. They thought they had dealt with this whole Jesus thing a few years ago when they had him crucified, but now there's this group of apostles causing trouble who a few years ago ran away as soon as Jesus was arrested. But now they're here. This is actually the second time they've been arrested just in this chapter in Acts. The whole leadership of the church got arrested and thrown into jail. An angel comes to set them free and tells them, go back, go back and preach. So they did, and that gets them arrested for a second time. So here they are standing in front of the court of law, the Sanhedrin, the people who had Jesus executed. Listen, we told you to stop teaching things about this man, Jesus, but here you are making it sound like we, the Sanhedrin, are guilty for his execution. And the apostles reply, we must obey God rather than human beings. Obey. When there is a conflict between God and human beings, as Christians, we are supposed to obey God. In one of his letters, Paul even goes on to say, Am I now seeking the approval of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Maybe most of us find ourselves in that camp, that if my job were simply to please people, I would not sign on for being a servant of Christ. You see, what Acts gets at is that when there is a conflict between God and human beings, as Christians, we are supposed to obey God. Obey. But the thing that really struck me about this verse, though, is that obey is not used once but twice. First, we obey God. That makes good sense. But then it's used again. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. It's strange. It doesn't say believe. In my head it should say believe. The Holy Spirit is given to those who believe God, but not here in Acts. In Acts it's given to those who obey. The Holy Spirit 
is given to the obedient. I was an obedient child. I really was. I was not very fussy. I didn't fight about bedtime. I put myself to bed. Didn't fight my parents on dress code. In my head as a kid, modest was always hottest. Still is. Hasn't changed. Not very fussy. I just believed it when my mom said that. I just thought, oh yeah, that that makes good sense. Didn't fight about doing chores. My Saturday chore was always to dust the house. Didn't fight about cleaning my room or doing my homework or setting the table for dinner. Just didn't fight. I was the obedient child. And this is why. I got spanked once in my life. Once. That was enough for me. I didn't want to go back. That was not a pleasant experience. So I figured, I'll just obey my parents and that won't ever happen again. Even at a young age, people called me wise. Why? No, no, no. It was just fear. It wasn't so much wisdom. <laughs> just fear. I wouldn't describe being obedient as cool. And being obedient certainly is not always the most fun. But here's my question. Do you think I benefited from being obedient? Do you think it was good for me to take my parents' advice on eating vegetables, doing my homework, respecting my elders, to let them challenge me, to make me get enough sleep at night? Was it actually better for me just to obey? All of those things, the reward is not immediate, it's boring. Eating your vegetables as a kid is like a death sentence. It is boring. It doesn't taste as good as the potato chips. So my mom incentivized it for me to help me obey. She told me eating my carrots would make my eyes really blue and my hair really red. (laughs) To help me obey. The reason she obviously lied to me is because there is a payoff to eating your vegetables. But it's not immediate, not quick enough for a six-year-old to handle. Slowly, as your body gets the nutrients it needs, your body gets healthier. It grows well. You have more energy. But it is a long obedience. Doing your homework, studying at home for a week, doing homework probably won't notice a difference. For a year, there's a change. Twelve years of consistently working hard at school. It's a long obedience. You see, somehow the Holy Spirit has been monopolized by one segment of the church. It has become an ecstatic, spontaneous thing. All of a sudden, the Spirit appears on its own and people are running and yelling and whooping and speaking in tongues and dancing and prophesying. And if that's the case, then we don't have the Holy Spirit in this church. The Spirit has been monopolized by this one camp, and it becomes about this immediate, big, explosive interruption. And I believe the Spirit does that. I really do. But I think mostly the Spirit is in the boring. In the boring. Expecting the Spirit to show up in these immediate, spontaneous, explosive ways cripples our own spiritual lives. I cannot overstate that. It cripples our spiritual lives. There's this camp in Kentucky, a Christian camp, that brings in a different guest preacher each week. And one week, this preacher comes in and greets all the kids the first night, has a good message. The next morning, he's out playing basketball with some kids. The camp counselor grabs him and pulls him over and says, Good message last night, Pastor. What are you going to speak on tonight? 
And he responds, I'm waiting on the Spirit to speak. Sounds pretty impressive. Very faithful, I would think. So the counselor walks off. Later that day, the preacher is eating lunch with these counselors, and the same counselor, again, wants to prep his kids for the message that night. What, what are you going to talk about tonight? What scripture can they read in advance to be prepped? And the preacher says, well, I'm still waiting on the Spirit to speak. Again, playing paintball with some kids that afternoon, again over tacos at dinner. Then worship that night. The music starts. The band does great. The kids sit down and the preacher stands up. He tells a funny story to get everybody started and then has a really awkward transition as he's reading a Bible verse and the connection is something. Begins talking about this and that, rambling, 20 minutes becomes 30, and kids are brutal. They are brutal. They start stretching as they yawn while he's speaking. Some get up and start walking around. And 30 minutes becomes 40, and the counselors at this point start yawning. So he tries getting louder, but louder doesn't fix that what he's saying doesn't make sense. You know, in the preaching gig, you know you've messed up when the worship band gets up after your segment, trying to transition to their last song, can't figure out the takeaway point. So they get up, this lovely band, and they just said, Amen. Amen. Such a good reminder that we just need to... uh, Amen. (laughs) Let's praise God together. I kid you not, that was the transition because they couldn't figure out the takeaway point. My point is how often are our spiritual lives like that? How often do we turn to the Spirit at the last minute expecting this sudden, explosive intervention to save us, then blame God when God doesn't show? God can, right? We know God can. The preacher knew God could, but what if God won't? What if God also requires obedience? Obedience. Opening the Bible and studying in advance. In any other situation, this idea that God failed the preacher would be ridiculous. Just ridiculous. If you spend 12 years neglecting your studies, not working, not doing homework, not studying, don't expect colleges to be interested. And don't feel sorry for yourself if they're not. If someone shows up to the office indifferent, puts in the minimum, scrolls Facebook, leaves early, then complains when they're passed over for a promotion, we don't feel sorry for them, right? Somehow, the spiritual life feels different. We get that preacher. We get it because it's hard to keep the boring obedience with God, so we end up living our life of faith like the kids' class of swimmers at the rec com, listening to God for a minute and then chatting, sinking, floating, splashing getting tired and resting on the lane divider, grabbing flippers and changing flippers to avoid swimming laps. But the Spirit is given to those who obey the long, often boring, slow-plodding obedience. 
There will be times when the Spirit will show up in an explosive way, like Pentecost. Nothing you do or don't do will cause it to happen. But on all those other days, all those days where you're just getting up and going to work, getting up and going to school, getting up and cleaning the house, the Spirit will come through acts of boring obedience. Obey. Pray. Study Scripture. Go to church, serve. For the Spirit of God is given to those who obey. Let us pray. Lord God, today we especially remember that after Easter we worship a resurrected God. A God who is living and active a God whose Spirit lives in us and through us and around us. And Lord, we recognize that your Spirit is capable of everything, of explosive moments, of incredible feats. But Lord, today we ask that you might tune our hearts to you, that through slow and plodding and boring obedience, we might get better and better and better at hearing your Spirit speaking to us. Help us to hear even in the whisper, even in the quiet. In your name we pray. Amen.